Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Tuesday, September 26th, and we start with local news. Workers at the Spring Hill General Motors plant didn't join the strike last week as negotiations continue between three auto manufacturers and the National United Auto Workers Union. However, parts distribution centers for GM have been called to walk out, affecting centers in Memphis and dozens of other parts centers in the United States, following a Friday address by UAW President Sean Fain. Earlier in the week, a Spring Hill GM plant strike was much speculated after a reported 13,000 auto workers of the union's 150,000 members took up signs officially walking out of GM, Ford, and Stellantis plants in three states, Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. More than 3,000 United Auto Workers members are employed at the Spring Hill plant. The core issues of concern to workers are pay and cost of living increases. Fain addressed more than 50,000 people Friday morning on a Facebook Live event. Ford, he said, has made positive efforts at the negotiating table, but Stellantis and GM continue to play hardball. Fain called on all parts distributions facilities, 38 factories between GM Stellantis to walk out. While that doesn't include the Spring Hill plant, it does include one in Memphis that employs about 200 employees. Stellantis and GM are going to need some serious pushing, he said. Both of those companies have rejected all of our job security proposals. Both GM and Stellantis have rejected our profit-sharing proposals, and both companies have rejected our proposals to convert temps, he said. During his talk, Fain addressed the Spring Hill plant, saying workers are still prepared to strike if more negotiation demands aren't reached. Earlier in the week, UAW spokesperson Brian Constantino said workers in the Spring Hill area are fired up and fed up. Since that time, all eyes have been on Spring Hill's GM plant, the largest in North America, and whether it would also join the stand-up strike for better wages and opportunities for employees. The UAW strike has been anticipated as potentially the largest strike in the union's history, which, with its most recent company-wide walkout occurring in 2019. The 11 million square foot Spring Hill GM plant, which opened in 1990 on 2,100 acres, builds SUV models including Cadillac models XT5, XT6, and the all-electric Lyric, powered by Altium Cells batteries, and the GMC Acadia. Seeing construction equipment on West 7th Street in Columbia might make some city residents nervous, but the small equipment working at the corner of High Street is creating another gem for the downtown district. According to the city's reports from Tourism and Marketing Director Kelly Murphy, the Pokes at Preservation Park is a strategic planning objective undertaken by the city council. The site was identified as an appropriate location for the proposed park across the street from the President James K. Polk Home and Museum at the corner of West 7th Street and North High Street. The property is owned by Murray County, the parking lot adjacent to the Murray County Tourism and Visitors Bureau offices. The lease agreement was approved by the Murray County Commission at the November 18th of 2019 meeting, but the project was postponed due to the pandemic, resulting in the amended lease agreement with a 2023 start date. This agreement proposes a lease term of 25 years with 10-year options beginning at the end of the first 25 years, with rent payments totaling $1 per year. 
There are a lot of things about the project I am excited about, but one is it represents a city-county partnership. We are excited to have this as a welcoming point to our downtown, Columbia Mayor Chaz Mulder said. The downtown area has little green space, and this project will inject some greenery into the district while paying tribute to the city's history through statues of both President James K. and First Lady Sarah Polk. Sitting directly across the street from Polk's ancestral home, the two will be forever cast in bronze for visitors to see. Murphy said she hopes the park and their statues will encourage visitors to take a tour of the home and learn more about the city and our nation's history. This will elevate the tourist experience overall, Murphy said. It's a beautiful park across from the Polk home, which will bring added attention to the experience there. We really hope when people experience one, they will then experience the other. It seems natural, she said. The statues have been created by a local artist, Jennifer Grisham, who has sculpted the former president at 5 foot 8 inches tall and the former first lady at 5 feet 2 inches. Though the project has been ongoing since 2019, the delays due to COVID-19 and subsequent streetscape project on West 7th Street allowed the city to hone in on the design and features it wanted to highlight. The outcome is going to be a better project than it would have been because of some of the delays, Mayor Mulder said. With the expansion of the two sculptures, we're also going to have that beautiful fountain operational. It's been there from the beginning, but it's not worked for several years, he said. The project, which is estimated to cost around $200,000 and is funded through tourism dollars, is nearly a half decade in the making, but is slated to be mostly completed by November of this year. The cost could have been much higher, as the statues make up the majority of the cost, but one of the cost-saving measures of the project is that Columbia's Public Works Department is serving as the general contractor on the project. I have to give a shout-out to our Public Works Department for being able to take care of a lot of the construction on this. They're able to do it all, but having them do the work they're doing is a big help and saves the taxpayers money, Mayor Mulder said. We're getting a nice new product that we believe will reap rewards for years to come, he said. Cowboy Up Incorporated, a local suicide awareness nonprofit in Murray County, is hosting their annual Light Up the Darkness Walk, which will be held on Thursday, September 28th at their office located at 604 North High Street in Columbia. Music starts at 6.30 p.m., followed by a short awareness walk and candle lighting service in memory of those lost to suicide. Approximately one young person dies from suicide every one hour and 45 minutes in the United States. Suicide ranks as the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. Research tells us that almost 70% of the people who attempt suicide express their intentions to someone. Cowboy Up Incorporated is a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Columbia, Tennessee, that focus on the, focuses on the prevention of youth suicide through educational programs. Cowboy Up was originally started as a service project of Junior Auxiliary of Columbia in 2005 until it became its own nonprofit in August of 2020. For more information, visit Cowboy Up Incorporated's Facebook page. The Athenaeum, one of Columbia's premier historic sites, will be hosting a candlelight tour on September 30th at the Athenaeum, located at 808 Athenaeum Street from 7 to 9 p.m. Tours will begin approximately every 20 to 30 minutes. The cost is $5 per person. Come learn the morning traditions of the Antebellum South. All proceeds from the tour will benefit the Athenaeum. For more information, call Phyllis Moore at 931-446-0539 or email her at mybusylife.pm at gmail.com.
Columbia Main Street and the Kiwanis Club of Columbia are excited to announce the first annual Fall Fest, a community festival happening in the heart of downtown Columbia on Saturday, September 30th from 3 to 7 p.m. The event will feature a variety of activities and attractions, including the Kiwanis Chili Cook-Off, where guests can pay $10 to sample chili from competing teams and vote for their favorite. Lots of food trucks will be on hand, including the Hot Dog Mafia, Local Lemon, Holy Smoke Barbecue, and more. A fun zone with games and activities for kids of all ages. Live music from Majestic, a Journey tribute band, Classic Vinyl, and Chief Smiley Ricks, and the Seatown Special. A craft marketplace featuring over 40 venues selling candles, hats, jewelry, plants, clothing, desserts, and more will also be on hand. We're excited to partner with the Kiwanis Club to bring Fall Fest to downtown Columbia, said Kelly Johnson, Columbia Main Street manager. This is a family-friendly festival with everything from food trucks and craft vendors to live music and the Kiwanis Chili Cook-Off. What a great way for families to kick off the fall season and celebrate the community. We hope to see everyone there, she said. Admission is free for Fall Fest and all are welcome to attend, while a fee is charged to participate in the Kiwanis Chili Cook-Off. For more information, please visit the Columbia Main Street website at www.columbiamainstreet.com or the Kiwanis Club of Columbia Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Kiwanis of Columbia TN. Although they are in much better position in terms of staffing than the last two years, Murray County schools are still looking to fill a number of positions. They're in need of teachers, especially math and special education teachers, school nutrition associates, and bus drivers. Want to be a bus driver but don't have a CDL? No problem. Training will be provided. For more information on job openings and how to apply, visit www.murrayk12.org. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mrs. Virginia Ruth Priestley Lamb, 93, a resident of Columbia, died Saturday, September 23rd at Murray Regional Medical Center, surrounded by her family. Funeral services for Mrs. Lamb will be conducted Thursday at 2.30 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends at 12 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Mr. Stephen Lynn Hay, 42, died Thursday, September 21st at his residence in Columbia. Funeral services for Mr. Hay will be conducted on Friday at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Friday from 12 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have lots of sunshine today with a high of 89 degrees. Winds will be light and variable. Tonight, we can expect some clouds this evening that will give way to mainly clear skies overnight. The low will be 64 degrees with light and variable winds. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. Right now, let's hear from our friend Paul Goldsmith, who will tell us about the well outreach, what they do for our community, and most importantly what you can do to help. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. 
I love listening to the news, but you know what's even better than that? Making some news this morning on Front Porch Radio. We're with the Well Outreach in our community, feeding families in need together as we approach the holiday seasons. Record demand is needed. There's families in need, parents going to bed last night not knowing if their kids will have enough to eat today. You can do something. $30 helps provide a week worth of groceries to a family in need. And thanks uh, so much to Lister Hill Credit Union. Drew from Lister Hill is here, and he's uh, offered a $1,000 dollar-for-dollar matching challenge. We have our first taker, uh, Rita, uh, called in, and here's the number if you want to get involved in this matching challenge. Thank you, Rita, for your $35 gift. Thanks to Lister Hill. Uh, That becomes 70, and you're going to help you know, almost three families with that two and a half so that's incredible every thirty dollars we help another family would you be one of the three to call right now 615-439-2921 all right they're telling me we still have three volunteers available to take your call so there's room for you calling right now 615-439-2921 or give online at thewelloutreach.org All right, Drew from Lister Hill, you came in with this giant check, $1,000, uh, to offer. If folks will meet you, it'll become $2,000. Rita was the first one in. Maybe encourage people, why does the well matter? Why do you support the well? I think when we come at it from the perspective of supporting community, Lister Hill has always been about helping folks in the community. As I was driving in this morning, I was listening to to you all talk about helping people where they are and and reaching people where they are and sometimes people that that need food they they wait and until they are literally starving before they'll ask somebody for help Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's the same situation with their finances they they wait until they're down really deep before they ask for help and and lister hill has always been about helping people serving the community uh, helping people to get a, a leg back up and and to get where they need to be and and we're so appreciative of the mission of the well outreach we're uh, appreciative of of what they're trying to do and what they are doing and and Lister Hill wants to stand behind people in the community to be able to do that. And it's not just appreciate. You're putting your money where your mouth is. I love that. Because everybody, uh, I know Shelly Sasson from The Well Outreach, the CEO, is here. And, you know, everybody, when she tells people where she works, everybody says, what a great place. But not everybody gives. And you came prepared to give, which I respect that. Thank you. If you have a business and you want to join with Lister Hill Credit Union and and give to The Well to help feed families in need, you are invited to do that. But you don't need a business to do that. You as your 
your family. You can kind of set the model for your children. I know I tell my kids to be generous and it goes in one ear and out the other, but if they see me actually being generous, you know, my daughter asked me the other day, can we go help at the well? Cause she saw that I was doing that and your kids are seeing you. And so if you want to model generosity for your kids, here's a way to get involved right now through the well outreach, give hope and encouragement, feed local families in need. You are needed. Would you call right now? It's a local number, 615-439-2921. We got three volunteers standing by at the Well Outreach to take your call. Be one of the three to call right now. Make some news as we listen to more news right now on Front Porch Radio, 615-439-2921. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7. This program is sponsored in part by George Brailis and the great team at The Way Realty. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Freddie O'Connell and his daughters had a breakfast of donuts and blueberry muffins on Monday morning. It was a special occasion. He took the oath of office at 7.37 a.m. to become Nashville's mayor, capping off a 16-month journey to the city's highest office. His two daughters and a partner looked on with beaming smiles. It was an exciting morning, O'Connell said after the swearing-in. It was very nice to start the school day in a way that still let the girls get to school on time, but now we'll go downstairs and get right to work, he said. Davidson County Circuit Court Judge David Briley, himself a former mayor, swore in O'Connell at a private ceremony in the historic Metro Courthouse. A public inauguration is scheduled for 1130 a.m. on Saturday at Public Square Park. O'Connell secured his place as the 10th mayor of Metro Nashville on September 14th in a landslide runoff victory over Alice Rowley, drawing wide support as the race's most progressive candidate. Given a short two-week window between his election and the transfer of power, He got off to a quick start, preparing for his transition to the office. The day after he was elected, O'Connell announced a three-person leadership team to oversee the transition. Former Metro COVID-19 response leader Dr. Alex Jahangir, author and consultant Christy Pruitt-Haynes, and attorney David Esquivel, a partner at Bassberry & Sims. The three co-chairs are each tasked with focusing on one area of his transition – how Nashville works, moves, and grows. Those ideas, improving government responsiveness, bolstering public transit, and effectively managing Nashville's growth, were all key messages throughout his campaign. Another thing on O'Connell's to-do list as mayor is deciding who in former Mayor John Cooper's administration will stay and who will go. He said on Monday that he anticipates Metro Finance Director Kelly Flannery will be leaving the position and Metro Legal Director Wally Dietz will be staying. We will probably have some key staff announcements coming soon, O'Connell said. We have some good folks joining us and some good folks staying. O'Connell on Monday said one of the biggest challenges the city faces is the tense relationship between Metro and the state. The state passed several laws this year directly impacting the operations of Metro government, including a law to cut down the size of the Metro Council. A lawsuit is currently challenging that legislation. O'Connell said communication with the governor's office and state legislators will be key for his administration. Those conversations will continue because I think as we re-engage in the conversation of regionalism, we know that not just Nashville, but all of Middle Tennessee needs to be successful, he said. 
He said that won't happen if the city and state are viewed as two warring factions. Instead, he said, they need to be key partners. O'Connell said he hopes to get together with Governor Bill Lee soon to discuss the relationship. Talks are in the works to get a lunch set up, he said. O'Connell has set ambitious goals for the start of his term. He has outlined a list of 15 fixes he hopes to make one day, including pushing for later high school start times, a move that would require the backing of the Metro Schools Board, embarking on an initiative to move Metro buildings to 100% solar power, encouraging a review of the city's 25-year plan, and creating a Metro office dedicated to housing. In the meantime, O'Connell has also made several appearances at community events, including a town hall on violence hosted by the Metro Department of Public Health and the groundbreaking of the site of new Percy Priest Elementary School last Monday and Tuesday. Legislative leaders appointed a 10-member panel on Monday to determine whether Tennessee can reject $1.8 billion in federal funding for education and recommend a strategy for how to do so before the legislature reconvenes in January. Tennessee receives $1.8 billion in Title I IDEA and other federal program funding each year, which support low-income students, students with disabilities, and school lunch programs. Tennessee would be the first state to undertake a rejection of federal education funds if lawmakers move on the panel's recommendations in January. House Speaker Cameron Sexton, a Republican from Crossville, repeatedly expressed interest in rejecting federal education funding during the legislative session earlier this year, citing federal mandates attached to the funding such as standardized testing like the TCAP. Appointing a working group is a first step toward a possible move. The Joint Working Group on Federal Education Funding, appointed Monday by Sexton and Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, will review what funding state and local governments in Tennessee receive from the federal government, how the funding is used, whether the state could provide the same services, and whether it would be feasible to reject the funds. The education of our youth is one of the essential responsibilities of our government, McNally said. Federal dollars and the various mandates and restrictions that come with those dollars affect the way Tennessee's children are educated. Due to our state's excellent financial position, this is a worthy subject of examination and study, he said. Working group members are tasked with recommending a strategy for how to reject the federal funds by January 9th, the day the legislature is scheduled to return to session next year. It would allow us to create an education system that fits the Tennessee model and allow teachers to teach without the federal government trying to tell us what to do. Sexton said in February, adding that the state would cover the $1.8 billion in programs funded federally if it chose to reject the funding. The state will pick up the cost and still fund those things, but we will be free of the federal regulations, he said. This working group will help provide a clear picture of how much autonomy Tennessee truly has in educating our students, Sexton said in a statement on Monday. Announcement of the working group comes after the state reported a modest dip in revenue amid tax holidays last month. Democrats roundly criticized Sexton's proposal to reject the federal funds when he first floated the idea. House Minority Caucus Chair John Ray Clemens, a Democrat from Nashville, said the move would be a fiscally irresponsible decision that would directly jeopardize the integrity of our public school system. Elizabeth Johnson, a spokesperson for Governor Bill Lee, indicated that the governor is not opposed to rejecting federal education funds. Governor Lee looks forward to reviewing the legislative working group's findings and remains committed to working with the General Assembly to ensure that all Tennessee students have access to high-quality education while pushing back on federal overreach, Johnson wrote in an email. 
House and Senate Education Chairs Deborah Moody and John Lundberg will co-chair the committee. Other members include our own state senator, Joey Hensley. The days are getting shorter, the air is getting cooler, and snakes are getting ready to start slithering around Tennessee. While you might be under the impression that all types of wildlife give birth in the spring, state officials say that mid-October until November marks baby copperhead snake season. The Tennessee Valley Authority typically issues a warning in the second week of October, posting... It is baby copperhead snake season. If you are hiking or walking, be sure to look carefully where you step or place your hands. Baby copperheads are small and like to hang out at damp places like logs on the trail or flower pots in your yard. Look for the yellow-green tail tip as an additional way to spot them. Let's respect their boundaries and coexist safely. According to the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, young copperheads wiggle the bright yellow tip of their tail to lure prey within striking distance, a behavior known as caudal luring. Copperheads are typically born between August and October, and mother copperheads give birth to between 1 and 21 baby snakes during this time. Adult copperheads usually measure 24 to 36 inches in length and eat mice, small birds, lizards, snakes, amphibians, and insects. In most of its range, the copperhead favors deciduous forest and mixed woodlands. They are often associated with rock outcroppings and ledges. Copperheads have a pair of fangs that inject venom when they bite, and even newborn copperheads can give a venomous bite, as they are fully venomous as the adults when born, according to Snakes of Tennessee. Here are some best practices to stay safe on the trail. Keep a sharp eye open for snakes while outside. Watch where you step, especially when wearing sandals or flip-flops. Avoid reaching into weeds or bushes. Keep a close watch on nosy dogs who poke, who might poke their snouts into spots where copperheads like to rest. And if you see one, leave it alone. Copperhead bites are the most common of the venomous snake bites, probably due to the copperhead's wide range. Left untreated, a venomous bite can be very damaging. One bit of good news, very few deaths occur as a result of copperhead strikes. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommend the following measures. Call 911. Driving oneself to the hospital is not advised because people with snake bites can become dizzy or pass out. Take a photograph of the snake from a safe distance if possible. Identifying the snake can help with treatment. Keep calm. Lay or sit down with a bite in a neutral position of comfort. Remove rings and watches before swelling starts. Do not apply a tourniquet. Do not slash the wound with a knife or cut it away, and do not suck out the venom like you see on TV. Let's take one last break and welcome Paul Goldsmith back to us once more to talk about the well outreach. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. All right. It's good to listen to the news, be informed. It's also good to make a difference when you can. There's so many things in the news we can't do. But uh, Drew from Lister Hill Credit Union, he stepped up to the challenge, came into Front Porch Radio to issue a challenge. Hey, we want to challenge listeners, area businesses, anybody out there to match our $1,000 this Whoa, morning. That's so incredibly generous, and that money's going to go right to work to feed local families in need through the Well Outreach Food Pantry. want to thank Rita for the first one in, $35. Josh called with a gift of $45. Together, feed one family at a time. It takes $30 to provide a week's of groceries, 60 to provide two. And right now, thanks to Drew from Lister Hill, your money will be doubled. Here's the number to call, 615-439-2921, or you can give on 
online at thewelloutreach.org. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. And now our final story. Legendary baseball manager Rick Sweet added a page to the Nashville Sounds history books in the season finale. With Nashville taking an 8-4 win over the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, Sweet became the winningest manager in Nashville Sounds history with his 321st victory at the helm. Across four seasons at the helm, Sweet has posted a 321-428 to record. His win surpassed Trent Jewett's win total of 320 set across five seasons with the Sounds. The Nashville Sounds are a triple-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers and play at First Horizon Park. Season ticket memberships for the 2024 season are on sale now. For more information, call 615-690-4487. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on Kennedy Broadcasting, WKOM, WKRM Radio. If you ever miss a part or all of this broadcast, you can listen to it anytime or read the transcript online by visiting frontporchradiotn.com. It's always there for you. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day. All right, you heard the news. Now let's make some news on Front Porch Radio. Drew from Lister Hill Credit Union stepped up to the challenge. Uh, this is a local radio station. This is a local credit union. You've got one in Columbia. You're opening one in Spring Hill. And we're making a local difference through the Well Outreach Today, feeding neighbors in need. Uh, Drew, go ahead and reset the challenge here. What are we asking people to do? We're asking people to match our donation of $1,000. So generous. That's incredible. And, uh, you know, whether you've got a business or your family wants to give every $30 is going to help another family in need. And thanks to the Lister Hill credit, your money is going to be doubled, but 